Hi, y'all. My name is Palmer. I'm a grateful member of Al-Anon. Uh, if, if you detect a hint of an accent that doesn't sound like Miami, you'd be right. I, uh, I, I came via uh, Oklahoma on the, my way to, to Miami. So uh, um, I came into this fellowship March 5th of 1990, and I'm so absolutely grateful for that time, as is my family and everybody else. I, my home group is the uh, Kendall Stepping Up group. And so if you're in Florida, we meet Thursday night. Please come visit us. Um, we do the steps and uh, um, just have a great time. I also attend an open AA meeting every week. I have a committed open AA meeting because sponsorship has taught me to go to AA as well. And uh, um, uh, that's at the Sable Palm Group in, in Miami on Sunday afternoon. Uh, I'm grateful for, for AA. I'm grateful that, I mean, AA literally saved my life. And, and I can't ever ever pay that debt back except to when AA asks, say yes. And so I'm really grateful that you're allowing me to share your podium. Thank you. It is an honor and a privilege to be able to do that. Um, I also have to thank Brett and Rhonda for, for hosting. They've been great hosts. And, and I, uh, uh, and Madeline, and where are you? Somewhere up here. Um, and I've got some friends over here that, that said they're going to throw rocks. So if you, if you see some rocks flying up here, they said it's going to be done in love. Uh, so. <laughs> um, and I want to thank the tapers. You know, I, I have a drive to work every day and I, and I know that, that our tapers work hard and, and they carry the message in a way that is unique and, and, uh, and I thank, uh, you know, I thank God for them every day when I'm driving because I arrive to work. Um, a more serene and uh, um, a more serene person than I would be if I were just watching traffic. So, um, you know, I thank them. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know how I came to Al-Anon. I, I, I grew up in a home that was, uh, you know, I was I was loved. My my family, my parents loved me. My sisters loved me. I wasn't supposed to be born, and 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 I arrived, and 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 they just they took care of me. I had all my needs met, and then some. Um, you know, we weren't lacking in in uh, you know finances, and and uh, uh, it was a great place to grow up uh, in northern New Mexico. Um, and yet that's not what I heard. I have a disease of perception. And I heard that I was, I was alone and different and lonesome and, 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 and no good. And, and, uh, you know, my parents were brilliant physicists. And, and, and I don't use that term lightly. They were physicists in the Manhattan Project in Los Alamos, New Mexico. And, and my sister was brilliant. I have this, uh, somebody mentioned, uh, Keith Lewis earlier. And, you know, I had a sister like Keith's uh, brother, Dumb Danny. You know, my sister, she graduated from high school three years early, you know, and she was a she, she went to one college and graduated. I mean, and, and then she went on to to graduate school and got a Ph.D. and has worked at one job. I don't know how you do that. I mean, my God, I, I can't do it. I was the stupid one. I heard all of my teachers say, why can't you be like her? You know, and and. On inventory, I realized none of them ever said that to me. That was just the message I heard because I don't hear right. I have, I filter it through my perceiver. So I was the stupid one in this family growing up. And, and it was as if the, the week before I was to be born, I was with, uh, you know, meeting with God and, and, uh, you know, everybody was supposed to hear directions for how to get on and living and, and I'd run the bathroom, and I came back, and God was saying, and that's everything you have to know when you're on earth. <laughs> you know, I missed the instruction set. I didn't know how to do anything with you. You know, I was afraid. I was steeped in fear. I just, I couldn't be in a room with five people and talk. And I just, I, I, you know, I was just, I was uncomfortable in my own skin. And I just had this hole in my gut that I just couldn't fill. And I didn't know what, I, I didn't know how to fit. I didn't know how to exist in my own skin. You know, I, I don't know. I just uncomfortable. And so I waited around until I was about 13 and met up with a bunch of guys down in my basement at, at, at before a church meeting. 
and we got drunk. I had my first drink. And, you know, they say that, that, uh, that Alma or that most normal people don't remember the first drink. I remember my first drunk, and, and it was, uh, you know, yeah, I'm the Al-Anon speaker. I tried it because maybe, the, you know, I, these guys said, here, come join us, and I don't know how to say no, so I did it. And I woke up the next morning, you know, the magic didn't happen. What Jennifer described as the magic of that, that, uh, f- that drunk didn't happen for me because I don't have the allergy. I woke up in the morning hungover and had to go to church miserable, and, uh, you know, my friends in AA say, you know, Palmer, you can work through that. You just got to, you got to try a little harder. You can get to the good stuff. <laughs> but it didn't work. You know, I just had to stay that uncomfortable with the hole in my gut. And uh, I, I decided I'm a geographical guy. You know, I, I graduated from high school. Um, I was sophisticated. I, I knew what the, I was worldly. A friend of mine got busted for a lid of mar- a pot. I knew the pot was marijuana. I was sophisticated. I just couldn't figure out why he kept it in a jar top instead of a, you know, they got these glad bags. Why don't I use that, you know? And I, I don't know. I mean, I was just, I was just a kid from a protected environment. I didn't know what the world was. And, and so I went across country and went to college in Portland, Oregon. And I fell in with a crowd of, of, uh, uh, you know, guys, we drank. It was the 70s. We we did inhale. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, that's part of my story. The first the first night, I mean, the, the first couple of weeks I was there, a guy handed me a cigarette with, with um, hash in it. First time I'd ever had a cigarette. First time I'd ever had a, had a drug. And so, you know, I got really sick from the cigarette, but I was really into it from the hash, you know. And... <clears throat> I mean, you know, I just, I didn't know how to say no. People would hand me stuff and I'd say, well, sure, because maybe I would be okay with you. Um, <clears throat> so I spent a lot of time in the honky-tonks, a lot of time in bars and pubs and, and drinking with people and, and uh, chasing that dream of being comfortable with you. And, and, uh, and there's always another person on the table with me. I mean, always another person. And maybe if I did that, I would be okay with you. And um, it didn't work. And, and uh, so after two years, college just wasn't working for me. Uh, it took me 30 years to get through college, too, Jennifer. And so, uh, I, <clears throat> you know, I, I, uh, I moved to Haight-Ashbury. And, uh, you know, the call of she was going down to Haight-Ashbury and, and a random she, and I decided, well, yeah, I'm going, too. And so I went down to Haight-Ashbury, and I was a hippie in, in you know, Golden Gate Park and, and doing all that. I mean, I did. I had my hair down my back and long beard and, and, uh, and doing the things that hippies do. But it seems as though everywhere I go, there I am. And, and things weren't right in Haight-Ashbury. You know, this was wrong or that was wrong. And I could make a list. And basically it was just that I'm, I suffer from a spiritual malady. And I just can't exist wherever I am. And, and so I left Haight-Ashbury and went to New Mexico and joined a commune. And, and so I was living in a commune in New Mexico again and, and, um, and, and doing that deal. And, and, uh, and that was okay because my mom was dying of cancer in the hospital in Albuquerque. And so I'd go from the commune in and hop a freight train down and go to, to uh, Albuquerque and, and, uh, and sit with her and, and then leave. And, and, um, and after a while, you know, it's just New Mexico wasn't working for him again. I, <clears throat> Clancy describes it the best I've ever heard. It's like somebody snuck in at night and starts tightening up a spring. And I just get tighter and tighter and more uncomfortable and I just can't be there where I am. And so I went down to the hospital. I said, Mom, I'm out of here. I'm leaving. I can't. I've got to go. And, and we left and went to um, Virginia Beach, Virginia. And, and we we're going to study there. But for us, study was just being hippies on the beach and doing what we were doing as hippies. And, and you can fill in the blanks. It's uh, outside issues and stuff. For, um, I'm selfish and self-centered. I just, I'm selfish and self-centered. I mean, you know, I, I'm leaving mom and she's dying and I'm going off looking for, looking for whatever it is I'm looking for at the time. And, um, I got a call from the state police. They, or they came down and found me and, and, which isn't a good thing when you're doing what hippies do on the beach, but they found me and said, call home. And I called home and my family was just coming in from my mom's funeral. You know, I wasn't there. I wasn't a brother. I wasn't a son. I wasn't a nephew. I wasn't, I just wasn't there because I was off chasing the dream. And um, 
uh, you know, that's come, that will come back up later in my story, but I carry a lot of guilt for that. And I didn't understand that I was selfish and self-centered. I didn't, I didn't know that was the root of my problem. I didn't know. I just, I just knew that somewhere out there, something will fix me. Something's got to be able to fix me because I just couldn't live in my own skin. And, you know, I tell my story this way because, I mean, we haven't even talked about alcoholism yet. I don't know if you say it up here, but I hear people in, in a lot of areas of the country saying, you know, my qualifier and talking about why we're now. And I understand what they're saying, but I also understand that I am my qualifier. I marry alcoholic women because I qualify for Al-Anon. I don't qualify for Al-Anon because I marry alcoholic women. I just... I. I, I I'm just crazy on my own. And, and I think that... That's why I'm here. You know, that's why I have, that's why I have a home here. And, and, uh, so anyway, I moved back to New Mexico to take care of the house and, and, uh, um, my mom and, and, um, I was taking care of closing it up and everything. And I was a street musician and a potter and I was playing music in this coffee house, uh, for, for the youngers. And that's not Starbucks, although it's not a lot different. I mean, we didn't have internet, uh, the internets. Uh, we, all we had was, I mean, you know, it was dark. We played chess and, Smoked cigarettes and played played music. And I was playing music, and and she walked in. Now, if you're an Alan, you know what I'm talking about. When she walked in, she got my attention immediately. So I closed down after two songs, and I uh, I went over to talk to her, and and we began a courtship. Um, five minutes later, we moved in together. Um, <laughs> my my grand sponsor says, after five minutes, you know everything you need to know. Why wait? And uh, so. Uh, <laughs> And we did. We began the dance and, and, uh, um, you know, but when I met her, the interesting thing was for me, I immediately felt a sense of ease and comfort that I had never known. I felt the power going down to my tips. I was a, the tips of my fingers. I was a better musician. I was funnier, wittier. My abs were even flatter. I mean, you know, it's just, I just, I was there. Now, I, I use the sense, the, the, the term, I had a sense of ease and comfort. I find it so interesting because when I read the doctor's opinion in the big book, I understand that. You know, I got a sense of ease and comfort from being with her that I had never known. And I pursued that to the gates of insanity and death. And I would chase that feeling and try to fix her and make so I could again reclaim that sense of ease and comfort. Um, but we had to do a lot of dancing before we got to that point. You know, I, uh, <coughs> we, New Mexico wasn't working for her. It wasn't working for me anymore. And what do you do? Well, we move. So we, uh, we moved up to, uh, I had a, a home. We cut the lodge poles and set up my teepee on the side of Mount Hood in Oregon and started living there. And it was an idyllic time for me. I mean, it was just, it was, it's, uh, TV's a beautiful place to live, but, uh, rustic, uh, but, but it was, it was out in the woods and I had a great time and it was just her, you know, and me. And, and so, um, it was, it was neat. But again, after a couple months, it's just, it stops working. You know, I'm just, that's my nature. You know, I just can't stay where I am. And it doesn't matter where I am, it's not going to last very long. And so the spring started getting tightened up again, and, and it wasn't working. So we moved over to eastern Oregon, and I had my first brush with alcoholism. My sister-in-law came up, and she, uh, she gave us her kids and went down to Redmond, Oregon, and proceeded to drink herself to death and almost and and uh, I didn't understand. I mean, I've never seen anybody abuse alcohol to that extent. I had, I mean, in our family, uh, uh, my parents would buy a case of bourbon and a case of scotch, and it would last a year. And it wasn't just they drinking; it was for parties. And and uh, the only person I'd ever seen abuse alcohol was me and my buddies. And um, I didn't understand what she was doing. And, and uh, one Sunday she was in a, oh, she got a job as a barmaid, which is a convenient job for an alcoholic. Uh, you know, <laughs> as Jennifer said, it's great. And so um, I watched, you know, one Sunday she was, her kids were visiting her and she was bleeding out of slit wrist on the streets of Redmond, Oklahoma, or Oregon. And I didn't understand. 
I didn't understand. I didn't know it was alcoholism. I didn't know. I'd never been taught. I'd never seen alcoholism. I, I, uh, we took her to the hospital and then got her patched up, and I took her over to a treatment center in, in Bend, Oregon, 1974, and I had my first exposure to you. And, and uh, you know, they had these half sentences on the wall, easy does it, and I'm going, easy does what, you know? And, uh, and uh, uh, I, you know, but I could see that they had something that she needed, and they could talk to her in a way that I couldn't, certainly. They, they knew what to say to her. And, and so Bobby Joe came out of um, this, uh, it was a detox. They didn't have treatment centers. It was a jitter joint. So she came out, and, and um, <clears throat> nobody told me to go to Al-Anon. No, I mean, Al-Anon existed. It was 22, 3 years old at the time. Um, but nobody said, you got to go to Al-Anon. I'm sure it was there. Um, if they had told me, I wouldn't have gone because she had a problem, not me. I'm okay. Um, I wasn't certain. I certainly wasn't ready at that time. But <clears throat> I'd sit down with Bobby Joe and, and we'd read the big book. And, and I, I absolutely loved what I saw in that book. It just hit me in a way in my spiritual search that, that I couldn't, I, I didn't understand. I didn't, I, you know, I didn't understand at all why it was hitting me. But it was an incredible book. And, and, and I went on. I thought Bobby Joe sobered up. It turned out she didn't, but I didn't know that. She went back to drinking. And, and, uh, my wife and I moved to Oklahoma. And we got a farm. We're going to drop out and be a subsistence farmer. And, and you know, it just started getting, things started getting worse. She was drinking and, and drugging and, and, uh, you know, and I had to, <laughs> I just have this need to know. I have no defense against that need to know. And I'd start looking, I'd come home and I'd see, you know, what, what, what was in the ashtrays so I could know uh, who had been there and what they'd been doing by which ashtray. I mean, you know, we're detectives, and so we start looking for clues. And and, uh, and I start having to track her down at bars and and, uh, and men's houses and, and do things and, you know, and, and drive-by sightings, you know, go find out if she'd been at the bar. And, and uh, um, I just, I, I had no defense. And, and uh I'd keep watching, and and, I, and my father-in-law, you know, a neat guy. I mean, you know, he's a, he he um, uh, trained cutting horses for a living, broke horses, and and uh, um, you know, strong man and and vibrant, and and I used to work with him, and and he disappeared, and I found him in a flop house down in Poto, Oklahoma, and and again, a brush with alcoholism, and and. Uh, he said, you got to take me to treatment. And, and I saw this guy, this strong man, becoming a gray husk shell of a human. And, and, uh, and you know, I mean, he was not in good shape. And, and uh, I didn't understand again. It's alcoholism. And he said, Palmer, buy me a beer and take me to treatment. I'm going, why would I buy you a beer if I take you to, to detox? And he was seeing things that I didn't see. There were bugs crawling on him that I didn't see. And, and, uh, and he needed and DTs coming on. And he needed that beer. He needed that beer to get to detox. I, I bought him a beer and took him into detox. And, and again, you know, it's bewildering for us in the family. Because, you know, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't understand. And um, my wife started drinking and drugging more and more. And, and that didn't particularly bother me. I just jumped in and did it with her. I mean, you know, the, I love it in Chapter 3 where it says, you know, we drank uh, wine, drank only beer, took a vacation, didn't take a vacation, you know. And I just, I did the same list because I thought that I was being a, a kind and loving husband. What I was really, in fact, doing was I'm selfish and self-centered. And if I could only make her okay... I would again sense that, have that sense of ease and comfort that comes from being with her. If I could just make her okay, I would be okay. I mean, that's the delusion for the Al-Anon that must be smashed is that if, if I am either get rid of her or if I could just straighten her out, I will be okay. And that's the great lie, I think, for me, is that, that you know, f- for me, I was getting crazier and crazier. I'd, I'd do things, you know, I, I, <laughs> I 
remember one time she took a job on as a barmaid at a, a David Allen Coe concert at this, uh, the Turkey Creek Saloon. It's so far back in the mountains they had to run uh, um, the electricity off Honda generators because the rural electrical co-op hadn't gotten there yet. And, and, uh, and, and so, I mean, I don't know if you know David Allen Coe, but he attracts some outlaw kind of people, bikers and such. And, and I'm a wimp, but I decided I needed to be there to make sure that, you know, whatever she was doing or wasn't doing or something. And so I signed up as security at this concert. I mean, I was like... You know, what am I going to do? Am I going to go up to a big biker and say, excuse me, sir, would you please put your gun down? I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's crazy. You know, I, I just got crazier and crazier. I, I remember one time she went off to a party at the lake, and, and uh, I stayed at the farm. And, and, and uh, after dark, I just all of a sudden had this need to know. I had no defense against that first thing. And... <laughs> You know, what do you do? She had the truck. Well, I got on my tractor and went up over this, <laughs> over these uh, mountains and down these hairpin turns to do this sneaky drive-by sighting. But my tractor didn't have a muffler and there was no moonlight. So, I mean, you know, if I'd fallen off the mountain, uh, that'd be it. You'd have a different speaker. But I didn't even think about that. I just had to know what was going on. So I pulled up to the lake on this sneaky drive-by sighting with no muffler, and <laughs> I, nobody was there. Well, now, they could have been hiding out in the weeds just watching me, laughing at me. I don't know, or they could have never been there. They could have left and gone somewhere else, but I didn't see anybody, and I didn't think anymore. It was like, oh, okay, well, they're gone. So I just got back on my tractor and drove up and over the mountains and, and back down to the farm. I mean, you know, that's insane behavior. I remember sitting at the back of a hotel one night. She was staying in over in Fort Smith, Arkansas in the middle of winter, <coughs> waiting to see if she turned the lights on and went out in the middle of the night. Now, that's crazy. Who was freezing there doing this, uh, you know, sitting out there in a truck all night while she was either partying or comfortable in bed? I don't know what she was doing. But, you know, that's not sane behavior. And uh, I was speaking one time, and this guy came up afterwards and said, yeah, I had a stalker, too, and I wanted to explain it, but you don't understand. I'm not stalking him, but, but, but you know, it was. I was. And uh, so uh, it just got crazy. And, and um, you know, bitter fights, bitter fights in my home. And, and, uh, and, and I didn't understand. And we went to marriage counseling, and they call it couples therapy today, I guess. But uh, uh, we went to marriage counseling. And, 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 and uh, you know, it's, I, I, I have no judgment on marriage counseling, but I, but I guarantee you that it, will must, it probably works a lot more effectively if you tell them what's going on in the home. But I have this need to look good to the neighbors, and I have to maintain this facade at all costs. And, and uh, so I, I would not mention there was drugs and alcohol and violence and everything else going on because I don't want to let that facade down. So, I, I, you know, everything's fine. Thank you very much. And they decided that I was the problem. I mean, she told me over and over again she drank because I, and then you fill in the blank. There was a raison du jour. I mean, I don't know what the reason was. Today it might be that I did A, and she said, if you hadn't have done A, I wouldn't have to get drunk. So I'd do B the next day. And she said, no, you should have done A. I mean, it doesn't matter what A and B are. It's just that I was always doing the wrong thing, and she had to get drunk. And the counselor agreed. They decided I was crazy. Well, I was, but I didn't know it. And, and so... Um, and so that didn't work. And just, I mean, just it, things got worse. I've had a, a huge shelf filled with self-help books. And if a self-help book would have fixed it, I would have been fine. But you see, I suffer from a spiritual malady that I can't fix no matter what I do. And I tried everything I could think of to make her okay so that if she was okay, I would be okay. My mother-in-law came down and she said, Palmer, is she drinking? No, Ma, she didn't drink. And, uh, you know, I've got to have that. I've got, I've got that need to look good to the neighbor. Um, we isolate, or at least we did. We, I mean, you know, if, if you have friends, they know what's going on in your house. And therefore, since you've got to maintain the facade, 
we cut off from friends and we had fewer and fewer and fewer friends and more and more and more isolated in our home. And, and we had one couple friends left and they invited us to come over and see a movie Friday night. And, and, uh, so we said, sure. And Friday night arrived and, and, um, my wife said, no, I don't want to go. You go. I said, no, I'll stay. She said, I don't feel well. You go. And so I went, you know, I, I can follow direction. <laughs> so we watched this movie. I have no clue what the movie was. It was one of those Friday the, Freddy the 13th or Friday, I, I don't know. One of those movies that I didn't see the movie. I was so worried about what she was doing, if she was okay. And so I left and went home. And when I got home, there was a rifle pointed out the door. And she said, get the hell out. Don't you ever come back. I mean, what did I do? I just went to the movie. And, and I didn't understand, again, you know, that's alcoholism. And I don't, it, you can't understand it. No matter what, no matter how I think about it, I can't understand it because it's just not logical. And, and so she chased me off to Arkansas with a gun. I was terrified. I mean, it is. It's terrifying looking down the front end of a rifle. And uh, <clears throat> so she was filing for divorce, and her lawyer called and told me to, come in and have a conference and so I got there two weeks later three weeks later and and she was there and she said Palmer I don't know what I was thinking I, I'm so sorry would you please come home I need you and you know for the Allen on that I need you is like a mainline shot for a junkie and then uh, <laughs> you know I fired my lawyer on the spot and went home. Of course I would. She needs me. You know, it never occurred to me that, I mean, a normie out there might think twice about moving home with a person who held a gun on him two weeks prior. That thought never occurred to me. I mean, she needs me. Why would I not go home? And so I did. But I tell you, it doesn't get better. It, it only, when we're on a slide downhill, there's one way to go, and that's downhill. And we did go downhill, and it got worse. And it got worse. And, and I was just, I was just in despair. Just in despair. I didn't know what way to turn. And, and my mother-in-law came down again, and she said, Palmer, is she drinking? Is she drugging? She's acting weird. She said, you're acting weird. Um, no, Mom, she's not drinking. She's not drugging. I think it's interesting. Our, our ODAT says that the alcoholic home is, is more easily spotted by the, the behaviors of the spouse than the alcoholic. And my mother-in-law spotted that behavior in me. She knew the behavior because she'd been there with my, my father-in-law. And, and she knew me. And she said, Palmer, I want to tell you a story. There was a lady who lived with a bad drunk and, and uh and, and she came in and asked him one night, says, is there anything I can do to make you stop drinking? And he said, yeah, I believe if you'd go out and dig a dozen worms and bread them and fry them, I could eat those worms and I could stop drinking. And so she very lovingly went out and dug the worms, brought them in, breaded them and fried them and put them on a platter and, and uh, <clears throat> brought them in to him. And he said, you eat half. Well, so we'll go to any length. So she cut them in half and ate half. He went and got a bottle of bourbon and got drunk. And she said, she's going, why, why? I mean, I, I got the worms, I ate, and I ate half the worms. And he said, yeah, you ate the wrong half. <laughs> I always ate the wrong half. No matter what I did, it was always wrong. I, I didn't know what to do. And she said, Palmer, you got to go to Al-Anon. You've got to go to Al-Anon. And uh, my response was something like, yeah, right, or something. I had plans. You know, I had dreams. My wife said that if you, you're at work all the time, if you would just be home, I'll be okay. And so I came home, quit my job. That's easy to fix, and came home. But then we were broke, and, and uh, I was there all the time, and that was bad, and she was, uh, uh, you know, it was the wrong thing to do again. So I had this plan. I'm going to go to the University of Oklahoma and get my job, get a job as a teacher so I could finish. I mean, I had a high school diploma. That's all. I had no education. And, and, and you know, because I'd been the stupid one. Why would I, you know, drop it out of college? And, and, and so I decided that, <clears throat> now, if there's teachers in here, please understand. I was sick and deluded. But I thought that <clears throat> um, 
well, I could get a job as a teacher, and, you know, I work from 9, 10 to 3 and take my summers off. It's an easy gig, and I can be home, and then I'm a teacher now, so I know that's not true. But that's what I thought. So I went to the University of Oklahoma to get a job, get a, a degree uh, teaching certificate. And, and uh, so I'd commute. It's a three-hour drive. I'd go up Monday morning early, get up at 4, and drive up to the University of Oklahoma and come back Thursday or Friday, depending on my class schedule so that I could be home. And um, I did that, and, and uh, one Thursday night, we had this bitter, bitter fight over the telephone, and, and uh, uh, it just, I didn't know what, I, I, hadn't, I didn't know where to turn. I just didn't know what to do. I, I, I was out of options. I just, I didn't know what to do. And, and what my mother-in-law and my sister-in-law told me came to mind, you got to go to Al-Anon. So I looked in the phone book, and I couldn't find Al-Anon in the phone book. Uh, I probably couldn't spell it. AA is easier to spell. I found AA in the phone book. <laughs> and I called AA. And I thank God for fellowships like here and in Norman, Oklahoma, and other places where the family recovers together, where there's Al-Anon, AA, Aladog, Alicat, Alateen, all together. <laughs> and they handed the phone to somebody, and she said, Palmer, I think we can help you. Come in. And they met Sunday, Monday, and Wednesday in that group. And um, this was Thursday. So I went home to the farm and uh, came back up Sunday. And March, Monday, March 5th of 1990, I walked into my first Al-Anon meeting. And the only thing I can tell you is I was home. I, I was home. I, was, I, just, I just was home. You know, and, 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 and people met me at the door and they, they, uh, they shook my hand and welcomed me and brought me in. And I didn't hear very much that night. I, I heard the three C's that I didn't cause it, can't cure it, and can't control it. And that was so astonishing to me. I thought that I had caused her to drink. I had been told over and over and over again that she drank because I did or didn't do something, that it was my fault. The counselor had told me it was my fault. And they said, no, she drinks because she's an alcoholic, and that's what an alcoholic does, and it's a disease. I didn't know about the disease of alcoholism. I didn't know about the phenomenon of craving. And I was relieved. I, just, I was immediately, I felt this sense of peace come over me. It's like, I'm okay. And, and I didn't hear much else, but I just remember that feeling of being safe and being loved. And I'm just, I'm just forever grateful for that group. And they hugged me at the end of the meeting. Now, <clears throat> that doesn't seem like much, but you've got to remember, if, if, you, if you get an image in your mind of Charlie Manson, that's pretty much what I looked like. I was scraggly, long beard, long hair, dirty. I smelled, and I walked in that door, and these women gave me a hug and said, Palmer, you keep coming back. We need you. Oh, well, if you need me, I guess I could put this in my schedule. Um, so I did. I started coming back every time that room was open. And... <clears throat> And I say these women because there were no men in Al-Anon when I came in. Now, that's not true. It's only, again, through my perceiver. But there were no men in that particular group or the groups that I attended. It was only women. And I started getting this sense of terminal uniqueness. I thought, you don't really understand. My case is different. You know, I'm a guy and you're women in the alcoholic home. And, and one of the old-timers, thank God for old-timers, she pulled me aside fingers in my chest said, Palmer, you listen for similarities, not differences. And I heard my story. You know, I heard these women telling my story. And they were a bunch of old women. I mean, you know, they were 40 years old maybe. and <clears throat> uh, Younger than I am today. But, you know, thank God for these, these gals. And, they, you know, they, they kept hugging me. They kept telling me to come back. And they, uh, um, and they gave me a job. You know, I, I got the job, and like Dick, I was the ashtray washer, and I was happy to be the ashtray washer, and I was really good at it as well, and I loved that job, and it kept me there. I mean, you know, you know, in, in the groups that time, you know, even if you didn't smoke, you smoked because the air was so thick that, you know, everybody smoked. 
Um, and so the ashtrays at the end of the meeting were pretty nasty, and I'd wash them. And I felt like I had to be there to wash the ashtrays. And I remember, like Dick, too, that <clears throat> when they took me off that job, they had to tell me, well, you're being promoted to coffee cup washer, you know. And, oh, well, if you're going to give me a promotion. I mean, we had to wash coffee cups because we had China coffee cups. Now, China, they're not elegant. They were little nasty old brown uh, ceramic mugs. But... But I washed them. And then I got, <clears throat> I got, I was given a, uh, the job of setting up. <clears throat> and they gave me a key to the AA room to set up. And, uh, you know, God, I felt so, I mean, it was an amazing feeling to be trusted in that service position of giving a key to the room. And, and, um, and so, I mean, you know, the Alanons met in the back and, and, uh, the A's up front and, and Alateens were in another room. And, and, and by the way, let me say, I am so grateful to see the Alateens here at this conference and being here. I love Alateen, and I love seeing you participate in being in recovery. So thank you for being here. I, I love watching you running around the conference. So, um, One of the things they did is they started talking about, you got to get a sponsor, got to get a sponsor. Have you got a sponsor yet? And, and uh, you know, it's like, uh, no. <laughs> so, so one time this guy did come through, and I found out there were men in Alan, and I asked him to sponsor me. And so... Um, um, I tell you, sponsors do weird stuff. He, he, uh, he, he'd listened to me in a couple, for a couple of meetings, and then he said, Palmer, I want you to do a gratitude list. And I said, you want me to do what? Have you not been listening to me? I mean, it's just, it's, it's bizarre because, well, back up a minute. You know, I, uh, I, I had been going to Al-Anon for three months, commuting back to the farm and one night my wife got i don't know what was, what was going on in her i don't know but it was we were having this bitter fight and she was standing over me with a butcher knife i was laying on a cot and she said palmer you've got to go to sleep sometime and when you do you're a dead man and and i i, I had reached this point of despair where i just rolled over and went to sleep i didn't care I was in despair, just, I mean, absolute, utter despair. And, and, and I had, uh, in the morning I w- woke up and I realized that I had attempted suicide the night before. She was the instrument. I don't know what happened to her. Maybe she never meant it. Maybe she passed out. I don't know. But I knew that I had attempted suicide from that sense of despair. And I also realized that, that you know, these people in Al-Anon have been telling me, you know, <clears throat> I kept asking, do I go, do I stay, do I stay, do I go, what do I do? And they just laughed and said, or they smiled and said, when you know, you'll know. I go, what do you mean when I know, I'll know? <clears throat> I woke up that morning and I knew that it was done, that it was over, and I could not stay any longer. I could, I couldn't stay because I didn't. I don't know what I was doing to my son. Um, I don't know. I, you know, I didn't know what I was doing to her. I just I, the relationship was done, and I left. And I was, I was homeless. I had a truck, guitar, extra pair of jeans, and an extra shirt. And that's all I had. And so I got in, and, and I and the sponsor said, "I want you to do a gratitude list." I'm saying, "What do you mean?" You want me to do a gratitude list, you know? And, and, and he said, well, why don't you go home and write one thing for which you're grateful? And so I went home, and I was working on this gratitude list, and I thought and thought and thought. And I spent a couple of hours trying to think of something I was grateful for because, you know, being homeless and, and, and all of this. And, and, uh, and finally, I wrote on the gratitude list, I'm grateful. I only have to write one damn thing on this gratitude list. <laughs> And that's all I could come up with. And I wrote that, and I took it back to him. And I said, well, that's going to finish this. And he's, he just pulled the rug right out from under me. He said, Palmer, that's great. Now I want you to write two things. <laughs> and then it was three things. And then it was five things. And, and after a couple of weeks of doing this exercise, I woke up to the fact one night that I was grateful. I had a truck. I had my guitar. I had an extra pair of jeans. I had an extra shirt. Nothing in my life had changed 
except my attitude. I had taken some actions suggested by sponsorship, and the results had followed doing something that I absolutely knew would have no effect. I had contempt prior to investigation. That was an important lesson for me. You know, my sponsor tells me to do things all the time that I see no way that they're going to do any good, and yet I take the action because I know that he's been where I am and will and knows the way out. He knows the solution, and so I take the actions. I jumped into the, the program, and, and uh, uh, you know, every time it was open, I was there. I went to Al-Anon meetings. I went to AA meetings. I went to big book studies. I went to literature studies. I was just, if the door was open, I was there. I fell in with some friends and was moved in on their couch, and they had, uh, of course, they'd just come out of a, a halfway house from uh, uh, and, and treatment, and, and <laughs> who else am I going to find, you know? And, and uh <laughs> And it was a magical time because we were reading the literature, we were studying, we were talking, we were having meetings in the morning, meetings at lunch, meetings in the afternoon, and then we'd go to meetings. And, and it was just, it was an amazing time. And, and um, so I just, I just did meetings. And one day I got a call from the university. They called that place. And, and I got home and they said, you need to call. I said, why? They don't even know I live. I, I know you. Why would they call here? And they, Dream said, I don't know, but they called. And so I called the college vacation and they said, you've got to come in. You know, your student teaching starts in another uh, a month and you have nothing set up. And I said, I do. I'm doing my student teaching in Wilberton, Oklahoma, which is down by the farm, three hours away. And they said, oh, no, you can't do that. They said, you've got to fill out a whole bunch of paperwork. You've got to get it approved. You've got to make all this stuff happen, and you haven't done any of this. And I said, I have. It's in my file. And they said, we don't have a file on you. You know, once again, it's God doing for me what I can't do for myself. That file disappeared. Nobody ever knew what happened to it. I'd done all that paperwork. And they said, you're going to have to do your student teaching here in Norman, Oklahoma. And we just had a guy call in who's a master teacher and didn't think he was going to be able to take a student teacher this semester, but he can. Would you like to teach with him? I said, yeah. Yeah, I would. So, I mean, why would I want to go back by the farm? Because I'd left there, and it was done. So I did my student teaching in Norman, Oklahoma, and taught in the high school. And I'd go to meetings and go to school and go to meetings and go to school. And and it was it was an incredible time. And I graduated from the University of Oklahoma with a teaching certificate, and I taught in the high school. Um, it was, uh, yeah. Thank you. That's your clapping for you because I certainly don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do that. Um, my sponsor took me into the steps and, and, you know, we, we did the first step. I, I, lack of power is my dilemma was not hard for me to accept. I'd managed my way into a state of homelessness. I mean, that's absolutely a no-brainer. We got to the second step and, and you know, it's kind of a left-handed admission that we're insane when we're going to be restored to sanity. And, and I'm going, but I'm not insane. And, and uh, he said, well, Palmer, tell me, what was that tractor deal? And it's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. So... And then we got to the third step, and I knew it was coming. I'd seen it on the wall, and you can't disguise it with your HP stuff, you know, and all this. I knew you were talking about God, and I don't do God, you know. I don't do it. And, and so I was, I was ready to, to leave. I, was, I mean, you sound like, I'm not going there. I just don't do that. And my sponsor was really a wise guy. He took me into the chapter, the agnostic in the big book, and it says in there, um, <laughs> To be doomed to an alcoholic death or live life on a spiritual basis is not always an easy alternative to face. And I'm sitting here doing this debate. I want to leave because you're going to talk to me about God. I'm going to go back to the farm. I mean, you know, how bad does that alcoholic thing hurt? You know, and it's like, I, I, I you know, I was, I was doing the debate and, and, and absolutely it's not an easy choice for me to face. And he took me another a little bit further and he said, are you willing do you believe or are you willing to believe in a power greater than yourself? And that got me because I'd look around and I'd see you guys laughing and having fun and, you know, lugging and hugging and scratching and having, you know, laughing and doing all this stuff. And I wanted what you have. And I didn't want what I had. 
And so I said, I guess I'm willing. And he said, that's all you need. So we knelt down on the floor and held hands, which I thought was a little excessive, but (laughs) and said the third step prayer. I love that prayer. I love that prayer. And uh, and so we got up and and um, and he made me jump immediately into this fourth step. And and I found out, you know, the, the first three columns are real easy to write. You know, I'm resentful at everybody and anybody who ever breathed air, I'm resentful for and and, uh, and and feel guilty because I'm breathing your air. And, and I mean, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. And 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 then, uh, you know, that was really easy. But then we turn the page over there and it says looking at your list again. Where are we you know, ready to look at it from an entirely different perspective? Where were you wrong? It's like, oh. I didn't want to look at that, but I did. And I looked at it, and I found out that every time we'd had a fight with my wife, my mouth had been flapping. I found out that I had a great part in that relationship going down and, and, uh, and, and that I had indeed been wrong in a lot of different places. And, and, uh, and it was an amazing journey for me to look at my character defects. Everybody that I presented on earth and all these institutions came down to my character defects. You know, and it's, it's, I was no longer a victim. And I thank God for not being a victim because, you know, if she's my problem, it's helpless, hopeless, it will never get better. If I'm my problem, there's a solution. And that's what I came to in the fourth step. And I'm so grateful for that. And then he wanted to do a fifth step, and I didn't want to. I knew that if I really admitted to him everything that I am and, and everything that's inside me, that you guys would reconsider and say, well, Palmer, we had the secret meeting. And, and you know, no, <laughs> you're too sick to be part of us. And, and uh, we don't want you here. You know, go away. And he didn't. He laughed and he said, yeah, I did that too. You should have seen what I did. And, and after we're done, he said, Palmer, I love you. And, you know, it's, it's, I, it's just an amazing, remarkable experience for me to, to, to have someone say I love you. And after seeing all of my raw meat, everything that was wrong with me. And, and, uh, and, and it was just amazing. And I got to the... The, you know, it took me into the sixth and seventh step, and, and I love the seventh step prayer. You know, it says in the, well, the seventh step prayer, as you know, you know, my creator, I'm now willing you should have all of me, good and bad. I, my creator. You know, if God is my creator, there's a reading in the Alateen, a day at a time, the red book that says, I know I'm okay because God doesn't make junk. And God's my creator. For the first time in my life, I started to get the sense that maybe I was just one of God's kids and that I was okay just like I was. And and I was in a room with about 12 people, and I noticed that something was wrong. And, And I stepped aside to look inside and see what it is that was wrong. And what was wrong is it wasn't wrong at all. It was an experience. It was something I had never experienced. I was comfortable with you, and I was carrying on a conversation with 12 people. I'd never experienced that. And it was a gift of the sixth and seventh step for me. Um, my sponsor at that time graduated, and he, you know, he left. I don't know where he went. I, to this day, I don't know where he is. He, maybe he went back out drinking because he was also an alcoholic. I don't know. But I decided at that time that, you know, I've been around here for a few years. I can probably um, sponsor myself. I know what's going on. I got this, <laughs> I got this rocking, you know. And so I began this uh, with this new sponsorship relationship, and I tell you, it's a great gig because, uh, you know, if I wanted to not go to a meeting some particular night and want to watch TV and I'd talk over to my sponsor, my sponsor would say, well, sure, you, you, you do that. You watch a meeting. You watch that, that movie. Or resentments are great because I'd get this resentment and I'd talk to my sponsor and my sponsor would say, well, you should feel that. You earn that. <laughs> and I began to get sicker and sicker again and I, I, 
thank God I realized it. And, and uh, I found another guy and asked him to sponsor me, and, and he said, yeah. And so we began the deal again, step one, and going back through the steps. And uh, I started at this time dating another gal. And she was an earth person. You know, she didn't understand my need for Al-Anon, but it's, that's cool. Whatever you want to do, that's okay. And so I got Al-Anon, and I was dating her. And we, we did do a courtship, and after about a year, we got married. And uh, I noticed on our honeymoon, you know, that, that she was drinking a lot. My God. I... I'd never seen her dr- drink before. Well, one time when we were dating, I'd, I, she had been thoughtlessly overserved one time. Um, <laughs> but uh, I didn't know. And so I watched as we were newlyweds, she, get, she started drinking more and more and, and, uh, and started not being able to stop. And I was at the Canyon Conference. I go back to Oklahoma every year for the Canyon Conference. And I was down in the, uh, in the, in the Canyon sitting with my grand sponsor, Pat Clater. And, and I said, Pat, I think I've done it again. I've married another alcoholic. And Pat got the most beautiful smile on her face, and she patting on me and said, You know, hon, sometimes I think their horns just fit the holes in our head. <laughs> and you know what she was telling me is, Palmer, you're an Al-Anon. You know, what we do is we love alcoholics, and it's okay. You keep coming back. You're in the right place. And I had indeed married another alcoholic, and she started drinking alcoholically. She started blackout drinking um, and I watched her, you know, that says that in the book that, that there comes a point where they have no defense against the first drink, and I watched that, and she did indeed have no defense. She would, she would in the morning say, I will never drink again. I promise, the, you know, and I swear to God I will never drink again. And that evening she was struck drunk. And, and, uh, and you know, I, I could understand that now. I could see alcoholism. Um, I, I've done... Alcoholism with me having a program and with me not having a program. And I guarantee you it is easier going to meetings and doing the program living around alcoholism. I, I experienced it from both sides. And, and so my wife started drinking and, uh, I mean, she, she was a bad drunk, could not stop, could not stop. And, and I'd just go to meetings and, and I'd, I'd practice the principles. I'd find her half naked drunk in the backyard and I'd just cover her up with a blanket. You know, she passed out and I'd go to bed. You know, I didn't have to carry her up and fix her. I'd just, you know, let her stay there and that was okay. And, and, um, I, uh, I, I kept doing the steps. I, I kept working and, 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 uh, about that time I was offered uh, the, the University of Oklahoma offered me a trip to go to graduate school, a full ride. They were going to pay me to go to graduate school and study. And, and I'm sitting here doing this debate. You know, I was in my, my uh, late 30s, and, and uh, I said, you know, I'm too old. I can't go to graduate school. And I heard this guy, Clint Hodges. He's not with us anymore, but he's an AA speaker. I just love Clint. He was offered a trip to, to law school. And he went to his sponsor and said, do you know how old I'll be in four years if I go to law school? And Clancy looked at him and said, well, Clint, tell me something. How old will you be in four years if you don't go to law school? (laughs) (laughs) You know, thank God for sponsorship. I'd never thought of that myself. So I accepted an offer to go to graduate school. And so I'd, I went to school. I'd, I, uh, you know, I'd whine some, call my sponsor, and you know what, they, they want me to write a book to get out of here? And he'd, he'd say, well, have you written the first page yet? Well, no. And so, you know, thank God for sponsorship. I wouldn't have thought of that. I was freaked out by page 250, and I hadn't even started page one yet. And <laughs> I started going to class one day at a time taking one test at a time, doing one project at a time, doing, doing the deal and doing, going to meetings. And uh, I remember one time I was supposed to go down to Lot in Oklahoma, my, uh, my sponsor, grand sponsor, and, and great-grand sponsor were doing a book study. And, and uh, I said, well, I can't go, Steve. I've got to work on my dissertation this weekend. And he said, Palmer, how much have you written yet? And I said, well, I haven't really started yet. <laughs> he said, well, I think you can take this weekend, come to a book study. And I did. And, and thank God I did. You know, I'm grateful for sponsorship because he told me, no, you're not going to work this weekend. You're going to be at this meeting. Get in the car. You know, I need that kind of sponsorship sometimes because my best thinking puts me 
uh, not in recovery. So, you know, I, I worked all the way through there, and, and uh, my wife drank. And I worked, and she drank. I came home one day, and she was uh, one there, and my dog actually took me up the stairs. She wouldn't let me go anywhere else in the house. She took me upstairs, a little uh, miniature schnauzer. And, and the bathroom door was locked and closed. I had to do the, the karate thing, kick the door down, and she was passed out, almost dead from a mixture of alcohol and drugs, you know, and called the paramedics, and they came and took her to the hospital, you know. She was on a breathing machine. And, and uh, you know, I, I called you. I called my sponsor. I called my group. And, and they were sitting there loving me and rocking me. We didn't know that she'd live or die, and, and, and I was okay. You know, I'm not unmoved, but I was okay. I was loved. I was among my tribe. And, you know, thank God for you. That's such a contrast for me. When I was living in the commune, we were sitting around like hippies do, talking about love and we love you. And and, I, and in a moment of weakness or honesty or something, I said, you know, I don't feel it. I don't feel loved. And, and uh, they literally picked me up and started rocking me horizontally and trying to make me feel loved. And I was alone and lonesome and apart from. You know, something in me was broken when I came in. I couldn't experience and feel love or be, or I couldn't, I couldn't feel your love. I couldn't love you. I was just locked in self. And somewhere through the process of the steps, that was fixed. I was doing weird stuff like gratitude lists and inventories and washing ashtrays. And while I wasn't looking, that was fixed because I was in the hospital room and I knew I was loved. And I loved you. What a gift. What a gift. I um, My sponsor, of course, made me do the eighth and ninth step. And I, uh, I had a lot of amends. You know, I'd hurt. As an Al-Anon, I had hurt and caused a lot of people spiritual harm. And I had to look at that. And I had to make amends to my first wife, you know, for, for the damage I'd done. And I did. And I came up with, uh, you know, my mom was on the list. I'd walked off and left her dying of cancer. And how do you fix that? She's dead. Again, Clint Hodges, I heard him talking about writing a letter and going to the grave in Billings, Montana, and making amends to his mom. And, and my sponsor directed me to do that letter. He'd heard Clint, too, I guess. And, and uh, so I wrote a letter and flew out to Los Alamos or Albuquerque and drove up Los Alamos and, and went down to the cemetery and I was reading this letter to mom and I sat for a long time with her and cried and, and, uh, and cleaned up on the graveside and just sat a long time with her. I came up out of the grave. I had contempt prior to investigation. You know, I thought, yeah, right, this is going to work, you know, right, Steve. But I took, again, took the action. When I came up out of the cemetery, the first person I ran into was my mom's dearest friend. And she said, Palmer, what were you doing today? And I said, I'm just hanging out, Becky. She said, no, Palmer, really, what were you doing today? And I said, well, I went to the cemetery, Becky. She said, Palmer, what were you doing today? I mean, her question was bizarre. She was drilling, and she would not take no for an answer. And I said, well, Becky... I abandoned mom when she was dying of cancer, and I had to go down and make amends for my behavior. And I was down making amends to mom. And Becky started laughing. That's not what I expected. <laughs> but she was laughing. She said, Palmer, I was with your mom the day you left. And she was overjoyed that you left because she did not want you to see her dying of cancer. And she was so grateful that you'd gone to Virginia Beach. I don't know what the odds are that the first person I'm going to run into after making amends that I didn't think were going to work was going to take me off the hook of guilt that I'd laid in for 30 years. And it was gone. In that moment, taking that action, it had relieved me of that guilt. Yes, you can make amends to people who have died. I've experienced it. You know, I know, I know today that God is real, that, that, that God takes that and does for me what I cannot do for myself. I just know that to be true. I was, uh, uh, you know, I was speaking at an Al-Anon meeting, uh, I don't know, four or five years ago, and this lady came up afterwards and said, yeah, you're one of those God Squad people. And although she didn't mean it as a compliment, I said, well, thank you. (laughs) Um, 
I think that's that talks about the power of these steps because I went from the guy saying, oh, no, 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 I don't do this God stuff. Don't do God stuff to where I'm part of the God squad today. And, and I know I have daily experience that God is alive and well and, and working. I mean, we're, we were a people of dead, you know, a room full of dead people here um, who are alive only through the intervention of God. Um, I love this fellowship. I just love this fellowship. You know, and, and um, my wife went into, uh, she, you know, she went into AA right after coming off the breathing machine and, and uh, stayed sober for about a year. Um, and, and something happened in life and she started drinking again. And, and indeed the disease progresses because within three, four weeks she was on the breathing machine again. And, uh, and I didn't know if she was going to live or die. And, um, and she did live, and she couldn't sober up. She kept drinking. And, and uh, I finished up my dissertation, and I was kicked out of the University of Oklahoma with a Ph.D. in chemistry. You know, I'm, I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you go from the homeless guy on the street. <clears throat> You're clapping for you and for, for the steps and the power of this program, the power of God, because there is no road to go from that homeless person that I was to being a Ph.D. in chemistry. It doesn't happen. I cannot make that happen. Um, but Tom Ivester says that when God has plans, the walls come down. And I think that's true. You know, God had need of a chemistry professor in Florida. And, and, uh, and it doesn't mean that I didn't do my part. I did. But I can't make that happen. That's God working. And, and so I got an offer for a job in Florida, and we moved to Florida. I'm on the fa- faculty of a university in Miami. And, and, uh, and I love what I do. One of my defects of character is I'm a caretaker. And, and it caused me great misery trying to take care of people who didn't want to be cared for. And uh Today, that's, I was given a job. You know, God didn't remove that from me. He just gave me a job as a caretaker. I take care of God's kids all day, and that's all I do. I am so grateful. And I am effective in that job because I think in God's hands, our defects become our greatest assets. Um, the state of Florida thinks I work for them. I really don't. I just go to work every day for God. What can I do? You know, lead me where you need me today, God. My wife, um, she had a hard time. She could not, could not get sober. And she, she, she tried and tried. She laughs and she says she has enough white chips to uh, tile the bathroom floor. Um, and she does. She was a slipper. But one Thanksgiving we were cooking and, and uh, dinner. We had our kids down for Thanksgiving. And, and uh, she got drunk, passed out, and burned part of the dinner. And I... Uh, worked on dinner and called my sponsor because I had a resentment. <laughs> and we got that taken care of, and I put dinner on the table. And, and uh, you know, she came stumbling in and tried to work, uh, eat a little with us. But, you know, the, after a big drunk like that, there's not eating's probably not top on the list. And not, not long after that, she sobered up. And we were speaking at a meeting as a couple in recovery. And... And she told this story of, of one Thanksgiving. She burned the turkey, and she felt such shame that that was indeed her bottom, and she was able to go with a, with a vigor that she did not know she could in, in, in AA. I think it's so interesting because the event that I perceived as something, it was almost a two-sponsor call. I had such resentment. How dare she get drunk on Thanksgiving to... This was the event I had prayed for. This was the event that caused her to, to surrender and sober up. You know, breathing machine, not so much. Burn turkey, okay, you know. <laughs> God is so smart about this, you know. I, I, I don't, when, th- when I think something's bad for me, Often it turns out to be the most amazing event for me. And when I think it's good for me, it's bad for me. I just don't know what's right for me today. And I know that today, and I'm grateful for that. So so I'm pretty much, you know, God's in charge here, and I just kind of have to let it unfold and see what's going to happen for today. Um, my son, 
you know, I had left him too at the farm, and and, uh, and I've made amends to him, you know, on uh, continuously. And and uh, you know, he uh, he found out at one point that uh, what well, he went to get the mail, and uh, uh, he found my child support check there. He'd been told that I didn't send child support and that I'd abandoned him, and and uh, and all the letters that I sent, he didn't receive, and and he found that. And in that one moment, because I was doing what was the next right thing, sending my check, he found out that I'd never left. And he called me, and we developed a relationship. Went and played golf together, and and he and I had a great relationship. He called me from Florida, and he'd gotten married, and then uh, I got to go over there and and bless the arrival of my granddaughter, and then you know with my wife. My son, his wife, and my ex-wife, and, and uh, um, you know his mom, and, and you know Al-Anon has put that family back together. I certainly have not the power to do that, and uh, and today you know we're 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 an amazing family. I just got back from Orlando. We went up to visit him. My son's been serving in Afghanistan, and and he just got back from a tour of duty. He's a medic in the army, and and. Uh, um, you know that that relationship has been healed, and uh, it's just from doing taking the actions, whether I believe they're going to work or not. Um, my life today is just amazing. You know, my wife and I have uh, uh, she's got 13 years of sobriety now. Um, we have AA and Al-Anon in our home. And I'm really grateful to my wife today because, you know, she's at home taking care of the dog so that I can come and be with you. And, and uh, what a gift that is for, from her. So, um, And I couldn't do that without, you know, her support. And, and she sends me on, well, go do your thing, you know. And, and uh, she laughs. She says I'm the, the, the black, back, black belt Allen on, you know, around. And, and uh, they, they find me amusing because I know more about the big book than a lot of the AAs do. But, uh, but I, I do. I mean, I just, I love this program. It has literally saved my life and, and, uh, and continues to do that. I was in a f- funeral for the father of a really dear friend of mine. Um, this was quite a few years ago. And, and the minister was talking about grace. And I had no clue what grace was. I, I, I got out, and, and I, I just didn't know. I, I had to go look it up, and I went to a piece of non-conference-approved literature, the Webster's Dictionary. Not a great spiritual well, but it was uh, what I had at the time. And it says that grace is unmerited divine assistance given man for his regeneration or sanctification. I um, I know that I did nothing to earn this life. I, it's not something that I that I earn and others don't. It's like a radio signal that anybody can get. They just have to tune the dial. And my to, doing the, the inventory and the gratitude lists and all this other bizarre stuff is me fine-tuning that dial and, and uh, until I could receive a signal. And, and, uh, and so I've been, I, I didn't have any problem with the regeneration. I've been made anew, and you have made me into a new person, and, and indeed. I didn't understand sanctification, so I looked that up in the dictionary also. And it says to be set free. What was I set free from? I was freed from the bondage of self. What an amazing gift that you have given me. God works through you because I need God in human skin, and you, for me, are, are giving me what God is doing. And, and I thank you from the bottom of my heart for my life. Thank you.